0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. A girl wrote to her parents this letter. I'll read it out to you. She said, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing, but all the writing paper was lost the night dormitory burned down. I'm out of the hospital now. And the doctors say, my sight will be restored sooner or later, to be normal. The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered me to, in his little apartment. And I'm still with him until the dorm is rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised when I tell you that we are going to get married. And in fact, you always wanted a grandchild, So you'll be glad to know that you'll be grandparents early next year. Then she added a postscript. And the postscript said this. Please disregard the above as practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. And I don't have a boyfriend. But I did get a D in my French. And I got a F in my chemistry. I wanted to be sure... That you'll get the right perspective. And uh, this morning, I want to be sure that we get the right perspective of what God is like. I like what the worship leader read. God is not a one-dimensional God. Our God is a God who works in different ways. We cannot put Him in a box. You know, in my 25 years plus of being in the Lord, and working with a lot of interdenominational organized opinions, and very often, their belief system and my belief system may not match. We agree to disagree on a lot of things, and this is how it has been. But it's quite interesting how people, when you relate with them, hold on to one particular view of how God works. You know you know the miracle of how Jesus healed the blind, right? Did he use one method? He did not. So some people will tell you, there are people who argue and say, if Jesus has to heal the blind, he will have to speak, and the blind will be healed. Some others will say, no, Jesus has to touch the eyes and then only he'll be healed. And some people will say, Jesus has to spit on the ground and with this nice saliva, mix the mud, put it on the eyes and then only be healed. So as a result of these three three different opinions, you'll have three different denominations that come up. The first one will be called as the speakites because Jesus is to speak and heal. And the second will be called as the touchites, because Jesus is to touch. And the final one will be called as the mudites, because you need the mud to heal. You know, different perspectives. So this morning, I want to share about the profound ways of God. I was studying the life of Moses in my personal Bible study. And, you know, it's amazing when you elevate yourself a little high and you look at Moses' life, or you look at the Bible, or you look at a book of the Bible, the perspectives that you get is so different from just reading 10 verses in a day and saying Amen. It's very different when you begin to study. And when I began to study Moses' life, I began to understand the different ways in which God works, and how different it is for each time that God intervened in the lives of His children, it was very different. So this brings me to my first point where I want to share the paradox of God's ways. The paradox of God's ways. You know, in fact, that nice-looking title, Profound Ways in Which God Works, you know, I wanted to put illogical ways in which God works. Because very often, when God works, it's illogical. It's not logical. It's not fair sometimes. How can He bless a sinner? How can he love somebody who's unlovable? How can he forgive a prostitute who is caught? It's illogical. And that's the way God works, my friend. And if you are seated here saying, I don't know why I am here. I don't know what brought me here. I don't know what's the purpose of my life. Here I want to tell you that God is working in illogical ways, profound ways, paradoxical ways in your life. First of all, I want to tell you here, if you see, read Moses' life you will find that Moses, first of all, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22 says, and he was supposed to be thrown into the river. You know, I'll just give you the context. Joseph went into Egypt, sold as a slave. And he, through several incidents and things that God orchestrated, he became the prime minister of the nation. And when he became the prime minister, he brought all his brothers and Father and the whole family, 70 of them, the Bible says, were brought into the land of Egypt. And this 70 over 430 plus years grew into 2 million and more. Mine, you call it growth. (laughs) They grew into 2 million and more. Some theologians say 4 million. Some theologians say 2. Let's say whatever the number correctly is, there were a lot of people. To a point that the king of Egypt, who's called as the pharaoh... He really got threatened because of the Israelites. He brought them under slavery as a result. He said, these people may join along with my enemies. So he brought them under slavery. And he announced saying that all the boys who are born should be thrown into the river Nile. Wow, how heartless that is. Thrown into the river Nile. And that's the time when Moses is born. This sort of gives you the context. This sort of gives you the background in which we are looking at Moses. He is here in a time when children are to be killed. He is here in a time when there's a decree from the king to say children have to be killed. And in that moment, his mother hides him for three months. And he's supposed to be thrown into the river Nile. That's the natural. If if the mother had to obey the law of the land, if the mother had to obey the king, she had to put him in Nile. And Moses today, you and me will not be studying about. There were thousands of other children who were thrown into the river Nile whose names are not recorded. We do not know their name. But here is one Moses whom whose mother trusted in the supernatural and we find instead of being thrown in river Nile she puts him in a nice papyrus basket she puts tar and she puts pitch and she covers it makes it waterproof and she puts the baby in it and she lets him go instead of dying now he is floating and isn't that the way God works in our lives? When, when we are supposed to be drowning, when we are supposed to be a nobody, when we are supposed to be a nameless creature, God has picked us up and he has called us by our name. God has given Moses a new destiny now. He's floating towards a new destiny. He's floating towards a new future. And that's amazingly how God works. Our God is not a God who just goes by the natural. Our God is a supernatural God. Amen? Amen. He's a supernatural God. That gets us to the next point where we find the paradox of God's ways. Okay. He was abandoned by his mother. At one moment, she abandoned him. The word abandoned, my wife was disagreeing with me. She said she didn't abandon. I said abandon or not. It was rhyming, so I got abandoned. And Then he was brought up by his own mother. At one point, she let go. At the other point, she's taking care of him. You read this verse, it's amazing. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. How many mothers get here paid for the child that you take care of, your own child? Do you get paid for taking care of your own child? And here Moses' mother See the supernatural. She let go thinking, am I going to see this boy at all? Is he going to die? I don't know what's going to happen next to him. But the next moment, she's nursing him. Not enough that she is nursing him, she's getting paid for nursing the baby. Isn't that amazing how God works? I mean, we have to make a choice to see whether we live in the natural or we live in the supernatural. You know, when I think about it, I I I I mean how many of you mothers here? How many of you mothers here? Okay? I know you may not have some most of you may not have a three, three months old, or three years old baby. Some of you may have grandchildren who are three months old or even bigger. You know, what what a heart of a mother, how hard she'd have found it to let go of this child. Would you let go of your child? At least say no. <laughs> You know, the Indian yes and no, We cannot make out. You know, yeah, yes. It's so hard. She let go of him. I don't know what it meant for her to let go. But the next moment, she's taking care. My friend, the kingdom principle is very different, isn't it? Jesus says when you lose is when you get. It's very different from the way the world teaches us. When we trust the Lord, and when we let go of the things that we are holding on to, God brings it back to us so amazingly, not only that you are to take care of your baby, but somebody else is paying for it now. Isn't it amazing how God works? Let's move on. The next one we find is, he's abandoned as a son of a slave. In Exodus chapter 2 verse 3, but when she could not hide him anymore because she was a slave... What did she do? She threw him into the river Nile. And then what happened after that? We find in Exodus chapter 2 verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of water. Now when I was meditating on this, I asked myself a question. Who adopted Moses? Who adopted Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. Who gave the decree that children should be killed, boys should be killed? Didn't she know about the law? She knew about the law. She knew everything. But yet, God's sovereignty, that God allowed her to adopt him. And instead of growing Moses as a child, he grew up as a prince. You know, some of you will have watched the Prince of Egypt movie. You will know how he grew up there and how he got trained. We will come to that point in a moment. But you will understand, you know, when God works, he works so differently, isn't it? You know, in, we find that when, uh, when, when he was thrown as a Hebrew child, he came out as a prince. And it's amazing how God very often grows us in enemy's camp. There was a lady who was praying, and she was a very faithful, prayerful lady in the neighborhood. So there was one particular man who hated God. And he would keep mocking her for praying. And there was one day she was praying and asking God, God, I do not have any food today. Could you please provide something for me? And this guy overheard this lady praying. And he said, Let me play a prank on her. He went and got some food, he bought some provisions and some buns and bread and everything. He, he left it at her door and he was watching to see what will happen. This lady came, she picked up the food and she started praising Lord and thanking God for the provision. And this guy suddenly appeared and said, Hey, hey, it's not your God who provided. It's me who provided. Your God doesn't exist. She said a bigger hallelujah and a bigger thanksgiving. And she began to be more excited. And he said, What do you mean I gave you and why are you praising God? She said, I know God provides, but I didn't know God even provides through my enemies. (laughs) And you know, when you think about God, The way he works, can you imagine? Egypt is a land where the Hebrews are slaves. Egypt is a land where God said, don't have anything to do with them. But yet God takes Joseph. God takes that Moses. He grows them under the very breath of Pharaoh. Under the very breath of the one who wanted to destroy Israel. Under the very breath of the person who wanted to kill Moses and 100 other babies. He grows him there and has Pharaoh, invest into him as if he's his grandchild and grows him up. Isn't it amazing how God works? God is not a God of one dimension. The way God works is so amazing. We can never, never, ever understand how God works fully. You know, in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is martyred, Stephen, in his beautiful, beautiful sermon, he summarizes the Pentateuch. That's the first five chapters of the Old Testament. He almost summarizes the whole thing, starting from Abraham. He tells the whole story. And then he goes on to connect how Moses had spoken about a deliverer who will come. And then we find in chapter 7, verse 25, we find that when Moses, at the age of 40, he says, let me go visit my parents. Now, how did, how did Moses know that Israelis were his people? Because who brought him up? His own mother. Imagine, not only was he brought up in the enemy's home, he was taught about the God of the Hebrews. He was taught about the God of Abraham and Isaac. So at the age of 40, he goes there saying, let me be able to rescue these people because they will know that God has chosen me. But what happens is we find in chapter 7, verse 35 and 36, this is the same Moses they had rejected with the words. Who rejected? His own people. Rejected. Who made made you a ruler? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea for 40 years in the wilderness. Rejected one, rejected as a leader, became the greatest leader Israel ever had. Rejected by one, rejected by some, but accepted by God and ordained by God, anointed by God, picked up by God. And when God picks you up, when God ordains you, when God has purposed for you something, my friends, hundreds of people may have rejected you. Hundreds of people may have said, you are not good enough. They must have said nasty things to you. You must be sitting here, young and old, saying, Because of something your teacher said in your school. Because of something someone said to you, your mother-in-law said, your daughter-in-law said. Because some neighbor said something to you, you are determined saying, I am a good-for-nothing person. And Moses could have stayed there saying, I'm rejected. Anyway, I'm in the comfort of my palace. Let me stay there. But God knew the purpose for which he has taken hold of Moses. God knew the purpose. Though he was rejected by people, he took him and made him the greatest leader. Can God do that for us? I know the nine-day school deals with this topic of rejection. It's no small thing. People we counsel, people we meet on a day-to-day basis, they have this deep feeling of rejection that weighs them down. It's almost like a ball and chain on their leg. It weighs them down, keeps them from Moving to their full potential, but I want to remind you this day, this morning, if you are seated here, if you have any of those hurt feelings within you, saying, "I was rejected by my parents," you know there are parents who make comments to children saying, "If it was a third child, you were not planned; you were just born," and you you can't imagine the negative impact that has on a child. He or she grows up thinking, "I was unwanted." I was not needed. I was an accident. Moses was even tagged as a murderer. And then he became a fugitive after that. But you see uh, how God picked him up. My friends, this morning, I want to ask you, think to yourself. Do you have those feelings of rejections deep within you? Maybe someone called you fat. Maybe someone called you dullhead. Maybe someone called you saying you cannot do much in your life. But I want to remind you we have a God who takes nothing and makes something beautiful out of it. He can take the weak and make them strong. He can take the foolish and make them wise. He can take a slave and make him a prime minister. He can take a shepherd boy and make him a king. A God can take a Persecutor and make him a preacher. That's our God. And if you are sitting here, my friends, I want you to know that our God is a God who specializes in the impossibilities. If you are saying it's impossible, I want to remind you from Moses' life people may reject you, but tell yourself, God has accepted me. Who are you to reject me? God has accepted me. Who are you to reject me? The one who has made you has accepted you. The one who designed you has accepted you. The one who ordained you and picked you up has accepted you. What is people? Forget them. Forget them and say, my God has accepted me. Hallelujah. It's amazing how God works in our lives. Let's move on. The preparation for the purpose. I was telling you about the about the bigger picture that God has in our life, when you look at the preparation, we when you look at the whole life of Moses, there was three months when he was brought up in his mother 's house, and then what happened? He was allowed to float aimlessly on the river Nile, okay River Nile is no small river for some of you. a civilization came across the river Nile, Egyptian civilization is something that birthed in beside the river Nile. It's a big river and he was thrown there. And after that we find he spends 40 years in Egypt. Acts chapter 7 verse 23 says when Moses was 40 years old that was in Egypt, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. Now what is happening for this 40 years for Moses? He is getting trained as a leader. Now being a prince in Egypt is no ordinary thing. They needed to know warfare. They needed to have leadership skill. They needed to have administrative skill. They are the ones who came with these beautiful pyramids which stand as wonders of the world even today. They needed to know how to manage a country. They were trained in all kinds of skills, managing people, managing projects, managing wars, acquiring kingdoms, and, you know, different things. Here is a preparation that Moses is going through for 40 long years getting trained as a leader. And at the end of 40 long years, what happens? We find in Acts chapter chapter 7 again, verse 23 onwards. Next slide, please. When Moses was 40 years old, it says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. There are two things that I want to bring out here. One, I told you Moses was trained. Trained as what? Trained as a, trained as a? leader. Trained as a prince. Now he thought, here I am, well-versed in warfare. I know Egypt well. I know Egyptian strategies as well. I know what it means to rescue guys from slavery to freedom. And he comes thinking he himself can do it. But what happens as a result? He is rejected. Now my friends, there's an important point I want to tell you here. Many of us are called by God's purpose. No doubt in that. You are called. You are chosen. God has a divine purpose for you. No doubt in that. But what what happens is, like Moses, very often we want to do God's purpose in our strength. When we try to do it in our strength, that's when we fail. And when we fail, we ask ourselves the question, God, were were you not in this? Are you not in this? It's not that God is not in it. It's not that the purpose for which God took hold of you has changed. It's just that you are thinking you can do it with your own wisdom. You are thinking, I know the strategies, I know the plans, I know the schemes of the Egyptians, I know the warfare, I can train you guys, I can do it. But bad news and good news is you cannot do it with your own strength. And what happens in the next 40 years, we find, is that God is breaking Moses. God is breaking Moses. You know, why do I say our God is a God of paradox? It's not in our wholeness and our wisdom that God wants to thrive. It's in our brokenness. And the very thing that we hate is being nothing. All of us want to show off. We want to drive the best cars. (laughs) We want to live in the best apartment. We want to put our name tag, general manager, director of company. I am so and so. I am this, I am that. We want to show off and say, I have influence in the right places. I can get it done. Hello, the bad news is God will break you. God will break you. How will he break you? He will take you through circumstances by which you will know I am nothing. And look what happens. In the next 40 years, there's a preparation that Moses is having as a shepherd. God is saying, Moses, you may have leadership skills, but you don't have a heart for people. (laughs) You don't have a compassionate heart. You don't know my heart. I am not wanting to rescue them by warfare. I am wanting, wanting them to be rescued by my heart that says I love my people. So next 40 years, I mean 40 years of management school. Anyone has attended? Other than those who failed year after year. <laughs> that also can't be 40 years, isn't it? <clears throat> 40 years of management school, of learning to teach him to be a shepherd. That's all God taught him. Now, some of you here seated, God called you. And you're saying, God, you called me. Why are you still not fulfilling my purpose? Maybe you're thinking, did I lose my way? Did I marry the wrong person? Did I make the wrong choice? Did I murder for vain? Did I do this? Did I do that? You may be wondering. But know this, when God is in control, he uses everything that we go through To prepare us for something that he has in store. Amen? I like it when you say it. Okay? Amen? Amen. It's a little encouraging. Okay? So 40 years of preparation as a shepherd. Let's move on. And what happens in the next 40 years? We find he let them out in Acts chapter 7 verse 36. He let them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, what did he need for 40 years in the wilderness? What did he need? He needed leadership skills. But would that have been enough? He was leading such a nice people who would organize themselves. They will not grumble. They will manage everything on their own. And they will just follow Moses wherever he went. Is it so? They were grumbling personified. They were, you press them anywhere one grump came out. (laughs) You know, there were people like that, but yet we find how God had prepared his heart. So when God wanted to destroy, what did Moses say? No, Lord, what will people say? They will say, you brought them to the wilderness to destroy them. Now he has a heart of God. You see, my friends, very often we may catch hold of the purpose of God without the heart of God. It doesn't help. Unless you know the heart of God, the purpose of God is in vain. And what God took Moses through was to help him understand the purpose for which he was taken over for 40 years. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you senior citizens here? Don't lift your hands. I know it's embarrassing. Senior citizens, if God comes to you today at the age of 80 or 60 or 40, I mean, whatever age you are in, and tells you, make a career change. Make a career change. At the age of 80, Lord, who will give me a job? (laughs) You're putting me at a crossroad at the age of 80? He had to make a change. And that change, now God said, my friend, I have picked you up now. Now you're prepared. Now you can move on. It doesn't matter what our age is to fulfill God's purpose, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old. I always tell myself, I will be like Caleb at the age of 80. I will say, give me that mountain and I will take it. Because I have tasted the Lord and I have seen it's not the strong that he uses. It's the weak he picks. It's not the wise that he uses. It's the foolish he picks. And if he can use the foolish, I can be a fool now. I can be a fool then. I can be weak now. I can be weak then. But yet I know the strength of God, the wisdom of God will flow through me and he will use me capture mountains. Amen. So if you are you're thinking you're a senior citizen, what can I do with my life? My life was wasted away. You look back in your life 40, 40, 40. Your life may be 7, 7, 7. It may be 12, 12, 12. God has taken you from one phase of life to another phase of life to another phase of life to bring you to the purpose. He has prepared you for 80 years, 60 years, 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, whatever the number of years, He has prepared you so that you can come to the point of fulfilling God's purpose. So when you are here, God has already prepared you or He is preparing you. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Say, God, I still can be used, Lord. In your hand, I'm still mighty. Amen. And that's how our God is. (coughs) God uses the foolish. And in his timetable, in his timetable, when he puts the timetable, many of you teachers here, right? You put the timetable for the day. You put the timetable for a month. God puts the timetable on your lifetime. <laughs> because he's a God who sees the end from the beginning. <laughs> he's not a God who realizes that, oh my God. Oh no, God won't say, Oh my God. No, he just, he, he doesn't just get he just doesn't get surprised that's what's happening. He doesn't get surprised. He knows it already, my friend. He knows it. If he knows the hair on my head, some of us it's easy to count. but For others, it's no offense. But if he knows the hair on my head, God knows the purpose for which he has taken hold of us. Amen. 40, 40, 40. I asked my friend here to play a video from Prince of Egypt, and I just want you to listen to it. Well, it's the story about Moses, most of us know. Sit with me. Uh,
1: all right. Psst. Not yet. Oh, sorry. My children, let us give thanks for this bountiful food, and let us also give thanks the presence of this brave young man whom we honor here tonight please sir i wish you wouldn't i've done nothing in my life worth honoring first you rescue zipporah from egypt then you defend my younger daughters from brigands. you think that is nothing it seems you do not know what is worthy of honor A single thread in a tapestry, though its color brightly shine, can never see its purpose in the pattern of the grand design. And the stone that sits on the very top of the mountain's mighty face does it think it's more important than the stones that form the base. So how can you see what your life is worth, or where your value lies? You can never see through the eyes of man. You must look at your life, look at your life through heaven's eyes. I don't know how. Of gold in the desert sand is less than a cool fresh spring, and to one lost sheep, a shepherd boy is greater than the richest king. If a man lose everything he owns, has he truly lost his worth, or is it the beginning of a new and brighter birth? So how do you measure the worth of a man in wealth or strength or size, in how much he gained, or oh, how much he gained? The answer will come, the answer will come to him who tries to look at his light through heaven's eyes. And that's why we share all we have with you, though there's little to be found. When all you've got is nothing, there's a lot to go around. No life can escape being blown about by the winds of change and chance. And no, you never know all the steps. Dance with me. You must learn to join the dance. (laughs) You must learn to join the dance. at your life, look at your life through
0: So how do you look at your own life? <laughs> you know, I want to share with you the next point on perception versus reality. You know, there are two things here I don't want you to get confused. On one hand, I spoke about brokenness. On the other hand, I'm talking to you about looking at yourself from heaven's eyes to know who you are. When Moses, at 40 years' of age, thought he can make it. But at the age of 80, when God called him, what did Moses do? He gave excuses. I can't. I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do that. So what is it? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, we find where Moses says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. This is a perception Moses carries about himself. But you read Acts chapter 7, and you read verse 22, and you see what the Bible says about Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of Egyptians and was powerful in speech powerful. Moses knew that. That's why he's telling God buying insurance beforehand. Neither in the past, neither before that, neither now. I cannot do it. There are two elements here. One is to see how God sees us. He knows it because, see, if I buy an Apple phone, which is the latest S6, if I'm just a purchaser and user of the phone, I may hardly use 25% of its features. Correct? We hardly use. We buy smartphones that make us dumb. (laughs) But yet, we're not smart enough to discover all the features. But does the designer know it? Does the designer of Apple phone know what the features are? Does he know what what it can do? Does he know this... Beautiful features which can measure your heart rate, which can tell your BP. The next time it will be after you speak on the phone and you put it down. If you've spoken to your wife, you'll say BP 180 by 20, 120. (laughs) It's gone up. (laughs) That's how the phones will come. But what am I trying to drive home the point here? God who designed us, Knows the talents and the gifts he's put within us. Just because it's not unearthed now, it doesn't mean it's not there. It's there. It's not unearthed as yet. And God is saying, Moses, I know you. I know you because I designed you. I'm the one who made the mouth. I am there with your mouth. You just open your mouth and speak and I will speak through you. And Moses still says, Thank you, Lord, but send somebody else. Don't many of us sitting here make such excuses? I can't speak. I can't sing. If you can't sing, don't come here. But at least sing from there. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, several, several excuses. If you just listen to the excuses you make for yourself, you probably would get into the Guinness Book of World Record for the maximum number of excuses. We do that very often. But we, want, we need to learn to understand, to look at our life from heaven's perspective. From what God has chosen us for. For what God has picked us up for. How do you look at your life this day? Let's move on. And here he says, who am I? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? You know, that I should bring the Israelites out of the Egypt. And you know what the verse in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 7, verse 20. 7 is missing The 7, 20 says, At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. NIV says he was no extraordinary child. He was no extraordinary child. Can you turn to someone and say, I am no extraordinary person? Come on, turn to somebody and say, I am no extraordinary person. Someone else turn to and say, did you know I'm beautiful in God's eyes? Beautiful in God's eyes? Come on, turn somebody and say, I'm beautiful in God's eyes. Somebody must have told you you're not beautiful, your shape is not good, your shoulders are not square, anything they must have said, it doesn't matter. When God sees you, He sees you. When God sees you, He sees you. Beautiful. Isn't it amazing? Let's see how God introduces Moses. Next. How does God introduce Moses? He says in Exodus chapter 33 verse 11, Lord would speak to him face to face. Here is a Moses who is saying, who am I? But God is speaking to him face to face. And we also see an incident that happens in Numbers chapter 12 where Miriam and Aaron rebel against Moses. They say, who are you? As if God can speak only through you. God can speak through us also. We can also prophesy. We can also do this and do that. They complain. And this is how God intervenes there. Moses doesn't ask. What's amazing is, Moses doesn't go to God and say, God, take care of my sister and brother. God, who knows Moses, intervenes. And this is what God is saying from verse 6. He said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all his vows. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Until then, Israelites didn't know somebody could see God. Somebody could see the glory of God. But when God is introducing Moses, he is saying, Here is my servant, to whom I don't speak in riddles. I speak to him face to face. I speak to him face to face. If God has to introduce us, I wonder how that will be. If God has to come and say, here is Philip, I wonder how that will be. Will he introduce me as a good drummer, a great preacher? I'd rather be introduced as a person to whom God speaks Face to face. I don't want him to introduce by my designation. I don't want him to introduce by the number of cars I own. I don't want him to introduce by the number of houses and flats I own. I want him to introduce me as a man to whom God speaks face to face and the man who has seen the form of the Lord. You know, many of us have friends, don't we? And these days we have Facebook friends whose face we may not know. Very often I get a Facebook request and I have a light version in my mobile, I can't see the picture. So I don't know whether to accept or confirm or not to confirm. And we boast of having many friends, 1,000 friends on Facebook, 20,000 people following me on Twitter. 3,000 connections in LinkedIn, you have everything, but do you have God as your friend? And does God say you are his friend? And does God able to say, I speak to him face to face, even before you log into your Facebook in the morning? Go show your face to the Lord and seek his face so that he is able to speak to you face to face and you are able to hear him, not in riddles, but with clarity, and you will be able to know what God wants you to be. And then your perception will change and the reality will dawn to say, I will walk with the air, not because of pride, because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, when when I talk about perception and reality, don't get me wrong. I am talking about brokenness. But in my brokenness, I am saying I realize who I am and what God can make me to be. You know, in MG Road, I pass through that road every day for my work. I have to go to Electronic City. For the last 27 years, I've been passing through that road. I've seen policemen who are very lean standing there and policemen whom you know who have a global figure. (laughs) I've seen all kinds of policemen standing there. And I wondered: heavy traffic. This policeman puts out his hand. And what do the vehicles do? Stop. Is it because of the policeman? It's not. It's because of the uniform he is wearing. Because that uniform says the whole of the government is behind him. The uniform says the commissioner is behind him. Uniform says the law is behind him. And that is the power that he has. It's not he himself but the power that's behind it. When I'm talking about experiencing the reality of who you are, I'm not talking about our own self. We are a broken people, yes. And God expects us to be nothing so that the more empty we are, the more of Him He can fill into us. And when we put out our hand to the devil, when we put out our hand to that rejection, when we put out our hand to those nasty words that were spoken, it's not me alone, but it's all of heaven behind me all of the armies of God behind me that I can reject those rejections and say, God, you are with me and you speak to me and I will move on. This is all good, but what about our practicing our godly response? What about our Christian life? What about the life that we live? Let's look at Moses, how he responded. I told you about these people who were not grumbling at all. We find the event, several events. How many events do you think where people grumbled? 10 events, those were 10 plagues. 10? <laughs> okay. I, I don't know the number. That's why I asked you. God says it's 10 times. Okay? So they kept on grumbling. Like many of us know, some of us will go to a wedding, and when there's no non-weds there, what do we say? Wrong number, la. No non-weds today. And exactly what the Israelites also did: they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. But each time they grumbled, Moses' response was, he cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. What does it mean? My friends, his dependence on God, when people spoke against him, when people spoke against God, when people didn't believe in his leadership, when he didn't know what to do next, when he was standing between the devil and the deep sea, he knew one thing, is to call on to God. My question to you is this morning, when you are in trouble who do you run to? When people speak against you, who do you run to? When your boss is nasty to you, who do you run to? And for you ladies, when your mother-in-law says nasty things to you, who do you run to? Do you run to your people whom you know, men of influence, women of influence, people who can provide finances to us, people who can help us, or do we run to God? Moses' first response was to go to God. The second response was to go to God. And every time it happened, he went to God. And I wish that many of us here will, every time you're hit with that roadblock, you will look up and say, God, it's you. It's you. And I'm coming to you and help me out. And God, we see, did mighty miracles. You know, when there was grumbling, he did this. What do you do when there's jealousy? Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Numbers 12, 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, heal her. You know, when Miriam spoke against Moses, God punished her. If you and me were there, you deserve it. See, God is on my side. God is punishing you. We will say it with pride, but not so with Moses. Moses said, God, would you heal her? Would you heal her?" He is living what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Moses is already living it in the Old Testament. Praying for those who hurt him. You know, very often it's easy to take words that are against us from strangers. But when your own brother and sister speak, does it hurt? It hurts more. It hurts more. And that's when our maturity comes, when we can go to the Lord and say, here I am. And as leaders, as in the people in the ministry, we find in Numbers chapter 11 verse 28 to, 28 to 29, a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Listen to Moses' response here very clearly. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all Lot's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Have you gone among Christians, Christian ministers very often? My church is growing, my organization is growing. But when somebody else is growing more than me, there is jealousy. And we even call it holy jealousy because we pray about it. But see, Moses' view was not self-centered view. Until now, there was no other person who prophesied in Israel. It was he who heard from God and he would come and tell the people. And now somebody else is prophesying. He is not threatened. He doesn't feel, oh oh my God, what will happen now? Others will also begin to speak. He says, I wish all of you would prophesy. Because it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom that God has called us for. Amen? All of you become very quiet. I'm wondering why. Amen? Amen? Let's move on. You know, so far I told you, in, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 13 to 26, you see this event where, where Moses is sitting from early morning to late night, doing what? Judging people. Can you imagine two million plus people standing in long queues, waiting, and he would just speak to them, judge them, you know, tell them, you do this, you do this, everything. Jethro, his father-in-law, visits him. Now, is Jethro a Hebrew? Is Jethro a believer? We do not know of it. But we find he's a Midianite who comes. And he says, hey Moses, what you're doing is not right. Now Moses is a man who led the two million plus people out of Egypt into the wilderness. And he's seen the miracles. He's seen the form of God. He hears God on a regular basis. He cries unto the Lord. He could have turned back to Jethro and said, who are you? I will do what I want to do because I am a mighty leader. I'm a mighty one, pride could have come in. But what does Moses do? You see what the word says? Moses listened to Jethro's advice and he changed his ways and he changed the way he does things. Why? Because he was humble to an extent that God, when he introduced him and says, He says, My servant, who's like whom there's nobody who's humble. And that's what Moses was. You know, being able to take advice. Ask yourself a question. How many times have we not made statements of pride? Don't tell me how to tune this guitar. I've been tuning this for 25 years. I know this like the back of my hand. Don't tell me how to do this. Don't tell me how to do that. Because I've been doing this for many years. But, let me ask you a question. When a younger person, now I've been working for close to 30 years now, I don't look that old, do I? (laughs) Okay, I've been working for close to 30 years, and there are freshers who join right out of MBA. Their age is less than my number of years of experience, (laughs) okay? When they come, they sometimes tell me, sir, I think if you do this, it'll be different. Why don't we try? Now, I can tell them, hey, listen, I've been in this business long enough. I know how things work. That'll be my pride. But if I am able to listen to them, give them a listening ear and say, hey, come, let's listen to your idea. Let's see what happens. There are some bright ideas that come out. And God sometimes uses them to prosper me. Because He's put the wisdom in them. Amen? So don't let pride come in the way of your prosperity. Don't come. let the pride come in the way of your promotion. Let's move on. I want to... Go to the next one. The promise of God's presence. This is what I like beautiful. You know in Exodus chapter 3 verse 11. Which we've been looking very often. Moses said to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh. And bring the Israelites out of Egypt. What's the question? What's the question? Who am I? Who am I? Let's see the answer in the next verse. The next slide please. Yeah. What does God say? God said. Is that the answer? Did God hear the question right? Did God hear the question right? Is God hard of hearing? He says who am I? And you would think that God would say, hey, Moses, from the time you were born, I kept you safe. I have ordained you. He will comfort him, motivate him, and tell him, this is what you are, Moses. You are a prince. You are a shepherd. You led people for so many years. This is what it is. God doesn't say that. What God is saying is, I am with you, Moses. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what talents you have. It doesn't matter what strata of society you belong to. It doesn't matter whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're educated, whether you're not educated, whether you have influence, whether you don't have influence. It doesn't matter. Why? Because I am with you. I am with you. What matters, my friend, I mean, I wish... All of us, every morning, could say like Moses. Moses learned this. That's why when God said, I will not go ahead of you, He said, no, unless your glory will go ahead of me, I will not move from this place. Because He knew He is nothing, but God's presence makes Him what He is. And I wish every day all of us would cry. This is my prayer every morning before I go to work, before I begin my day. I say, Lord, may Your presence go ahead of me. What it is if if I work on a secular job. Doesn't matter. I still need the presence of God. Amen. I wish we could say. And when we have that assurance. We know that God can do. And you see in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. What does Moses do? Tell Joshua. He's passing on the baton. And he is telling Joshua. God will be with you. He is not telling him. I have trained you. You have been with me. You have done this with me. You have fought wars in the wilderness. You have seen this. You have seen that. All that he's not telling. He's telling God will be with you. And Joshua chapter 1. When God calls Joshua and ordains him. What does God tell him? I will be with you like I was with Moses. What a thing. What do we need this morning? Above everything else. Even if you forget everything else I have preached. If you are going back from here hungry for more of God's presence in your life, it's more than enough. It's more than enough. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what situation you are here in today. As I was preparing, the Lord confirmed this word several ways and several times. And I kept telling the Lord, there's a Bible study I did, Lord, I've not prepared a sermon out of this. God said, this is the word you speak. And God I felt God, felt God telling me that there are some people here who are questioning who they are. You've grown old and you're thinking, what have I done with my life? You're in the midlife crisis and you're saying, what am I going to do in my life in future? You're young at the crossroads saying, who am I? How will I be successful? My friends, God wants to remind you this morning. God wants to remind you that He is with you. Can you turn to somebody and say, God is with me? Turn to someone else and say, God is with you too. (laughs) Amen. Seeking God's presence above everything else. Finally, I want to close with this passion for God. How was Moses able to experience God's presence so powerfully? You see, when God said he cannot show himself, Moses didn't give up. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. The hunger. Some of us, you know, when we are growing in the Lord, we think we know it all. (laughs) Ask yourself a question. Do you walk with God like Noah walked or Enoch walked? Have Have you seen the glory of God like Moses did? Have you experienced the third heavens like Paul did? No, not yet. We are not yet there. We need to be hungrier. The beauty is like this. The more you know God, the more you know How less you know of God. Because God is so mighty, so powerful, so great, we hardly can fit him into our brains. We hardly can fit him into our brains. God, he says, show me your glory. Passion for God. You know, when I first came to know the Lord several years back, my passion was for God, but it only showed forth in activities. If you talk about Christian activity addiction, I need a de-addiction program <laughs> because I would do six Bible studies on a Saturday starting at 5:30 in the morning because I didn't have any other time. I would forcefully go wake up people to do Bible study with them. You know, activity after activity after activity. And Christians today, there's no lack of activities, but what we lack is saying, "Show me your glory, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. I want you, Lord." Nothing else. And we find in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13, it's never learning. He says, Teach me your ways, Lord. He's already experienced God so much. 33rd chapter of Exodus is almost towards the end of the journey. But even in that moment, he says, Teach me your ways, Lord. Teach me your ways. And I like this part. You know, I was just amazed when I was meditating on this verse. You know, Moses got God to introduce himself. Have you heard God introduce himself? Moses told, Who are you, Lord? What should I go tell the people? And God says, I am who I am. And chapter 6 verse 3 says, "Still now God was not known by that. He was not known by your way. I am who I am is Yahweh in Hebrew. He was not known by that. He was known as Elohim. He was known as El Shaddai. He was known as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here God introduces himself saying, I am who I am. I am the Lord Almighty. I am Yahweh. And Moses' passion led him to get God introduced to him. My friends, this morning, I want to ask you a question. You may be seated here wondering... What is happening in your life? It may be right, it may be wrong. You may be wondering, why am I in the place I am? Our God is a God who works in ways that you and me cannot logically fit. He can bless us, he can use us beyond what we can imagine. And his ways are very paradoxical. And we find that, you know, he prepares us. If you are in a journey, you know, with God, Journey matters as much as the destiny. Some of us, we want to be there. God, what do you want me to be? I'll be there. (laughs) We want to be in a hurry there. But God says, there's a 40 years preparation, my son. There's a 80 years preparation, my son. There's a process that you need to go through, my daughter. And that process we don't want. We want the destiny. God is as much interested in our journey as much as in our reality. And perception versus reality and practicing godly response promise of God's presence and passion for God my friends this morning I just want to leave this challenge with you, would you get more hungry for God and say God I want to see your glory thank you for listening to this message to know more about us please visit www.adonai-ministries.com